This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I'm a physician and clinical scientist in the Division of Respiratory Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada, where I'm a professor of medicine. Today I'm joined by Dr. Ab Tarani, who's the senior author of today's article for discussion, Obstructive Sleep Apnea and Retinopathy in Patients with Type 2 Diabetes, a Longitudinal Study. Dr. Tarani is a clinical scientist at the University of Birmingham, UK, and an honorary consultant physician in diabetes and endocrinology at Birmingham Heartlands Hospital. Thank you, Dr. Tarani, for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me, John. Um, Before I ask you about your study, I'd like to ask you a few general questions about type 2 diabetes. First, um, how common is obstructive sleep apnea in patients with type 2 diabetes? An interesting question. Uh, Obstructive sleep apnea has been shown to be very common in patients with type 2 diabetes in multiple studies over the last decade or even more. However, there has been a huge variation in the estimates of prevalence of obstructive sleep apnea in patients with diabetes. So the lowest estimates that I came across before were 24%, and the highest estimates are above 90%, in some small studies who probably have a significant selection bias. However, this huge variation can be explained by multiple factors, uh, including whether the setting of the study was in primary care or in hospital, tertiary, secondary care, the ethnicity of the population examined, because sleep apnea is more common, for example, in Afro-Caribbean and Hispanics uh, compared to the whites, Caucasians, uh, the methods, how OSA was diagnosed, whether it's based on a questionnaire, oxymetry, portable level three devices, or polysomnography. In addition, there is a lot of variation how OSA was defined in these studies, including the use of apnea hypopnea index, oxygen desaturation index, respiratory disturbances index, and different cutoffs, 5, 10, 15, 30, you name it. Uh, So so there is no surprise that there is a huge variation. But nonetheless, all the studies consistently showed a high prevalence, although the exact prevalence may not be necessarily clear, and it will depend on the population examined. And how common is diabetic retinopathy in patients with type 2 diabetes? it's, it's a similar problem to what, you, what I explained in the first question, where it depends on the population, the risk factors, and how was diabetic retinopathy diagnosed. Uh, you've got a huge variation in methods from using ophthalmoscopy to using two retinal images uh, to using seven-field retinal images or fluorescent angiography. Uh, but overall, in the U.S., the prevalence of diabetic retinopathy is around 40%, with 10% have uh, sight-threatening diabetic retinopathy. 
obviously in our study, the prevalence of sign-threatening diabetic retinopathy was higher because it was a hospital-based population. So what are the important factors which contribute to the development of diabetic retinopathy? So diabetic retinopathy share uh, most of its pathogenesis and risk factors to similar to the other vascular complications in patients with diabetes. So longer diabetes duration is a risk factor. Ethnicity, such as South Asians, for example, are increased risk of advanced uh, retinopathy. Glycemic control, where improved uh, uh, HbA1c lowers the risk of retinopathy. Hypertension increases the risk of retinopathy. Similarly, smoking increases the risk of retinopathy. Uh, Lipids, particularly triglycerides levels, seems to have also an impact on diabetic retinopathy. So let's now move to your to your paper. Um, what were the primary study findings? So I think there are two important findings from our paper. Uh, the first and most important is that having obstructive sleep apnea predicted the development of advanced retinopathy defined as having pre-proliferative or proliferative retinopathy in patients with type 2 diabetes, and that is despite adjustment for a wide range of potential confounders. And hence, this, is, this identifies obstructive sleep apnea as a potentially modifiable risk factor for advanced retinopathy. The other finding of our study is that we found a cross-sectional association between obstructive sleep apnea and maculopathy and sight-threatening diabetic retinopathy, which was also independent uh, after adjustment for potential confounder. Another important aspect of the study is that the longitudinal relationship that we described that we have described between uh, obstructive sleep apnea and advanced retinopathy had a dose-response relationship in that moderate to severe sleep apnea and the highest tertiles of the apnea-hypopnea index and the oxygen desaturation index had actually the highest risk of progression to advanced retinopathy. Now, your study was patients was performed on patients from hospital-based diabetes centers. How representative are these patients of all patients with type 2 diabetes? Uh, indeed, this is a very important point. Uh, our study population characteristics are similar to other studies which were conducted in hospital diabetes patients in the UK. But I need to emphasize that these are similar to other hospital patients. However, if we compare them with the wider type 2 diabetes patients, who a lot of them are treated in primary care by family physicians, our patients are a much higher risk population. So we had higher prevalence of complications and we had a lot of more intensive treatment. Uh, However, The plausible mechanistic links between obstructive sleep apnea and retinopathy in patients with diabetes will still apply for patients regardless whether they were 
cared for in hospital or in primary care with family physicians, although the actual impact and effect size might be different. So there is no, no question that I think these, our findings needs to be examined in patients who are uh, more typical of the general diabetes patients who are treated in, by family physicians and also need to be examined in patients who have lower diabetes duration, i.e. shorter diabetes duration, uh, to see whether OSA still have the same effects. Now, your findings were different between white Europeans and South Asians. What are the potential explanations for these ethnic differences? Uh, yes, we agree. Uh, we, we tried to think about, or we tried to explore in our data to see what might be responsible for uh, these observed differences. Obviously, our study was not necessarily designed to explore the, the underpinning factors for these differences between Asians and Caucasians. However, we know from previous studies, including in our own center, that South Asians are actually at increased risk of developing ret severe retinopathy compared to uh, white Caucasians. Hence, because of their naturally increased risk, which we don't know the exact mechanisms behind as yet, the impact of OSA might be less obvious and might require larger sample size. Our data sort of support this hypothesis because the direction of the relationship in South Asians uh, was also similar to white Caucasians, although it wasn't statistically significant. Now, I know the primary focus of your study was not to assess the impact of CPAP on diabetic retinopathy, uh, but one of your conclusions is that CPAP was associated with a reduction in diabetic retinopathy. Can you comment on the strength of this conclusion and any current interventional studies uh, which address this issue? Uh, thank you for raising this question. Uh, I think I need to clarify how the CPAP data was collected in terms of this study. So CPAP was not part of this study. Patients were offered CPAP after they were diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea and that was done as part of their routine care. Hence, the decision to start or not start CPAP and the variation in care that patients received cannot be controlled for. And what we found in our study that those who happened to be compliant with CPAP had lower progression to advanced diabetic retinopathy compared to those who were non-compliant. In fact, also less than those with mild OSA. The reasons for why these people were compliant or non-compliant, we cannot account for. And hence, I think our observation with the CPAP need to be treated as hypothesis generating and definitely not a strong enough evidence to say that CPAP treatment will definitely lower the risk of progression of diabetic retinopathy. Uh, other trials are currently ongoing. My own group currently is conducting uh, a two-year feasibility randomized controlled trial in patients with type 2 diabetes in which progression of diabetic retinopathy is one of the outcomes. There is another group in the UK in Newcastle which is examining the impact of CPAP treatment on uh, 
patients with maculopathy, uh, in particularly focusing on visual acuity uh, in patients with macular edema. So we look forward to those results. Um, that will be uh, very interesting. Now, obstructive sleep apnea results in many physiological changes, including intermittent hypoxemia and changes in blood pressure. Um, can you speculate which of these changes may be responsible for the increase in diabetic retinopathy you've seen? Uh, as you have su suggested, uh, obstructive sleep apnea uh, can be associated with many factors that might impact on diabetic retinopathy. Uh, and as you and your readers will be familiar with that obstructive sleep apnea is a quite a complex disease uh, in which there are uh, variation and changes in blood pressure, sympathetic activity, sleep architecture, heart rate, and obviously recurrent oxygen desaturations. All of these factors can contribute to the pathogenesis and progression of diabetic retinopathy. Which one of these in particular is responsible is difficult to judge based on an epidemiological study. Certainly more uh, human-based uh, physiological experimental studies, such as using intermittent hypoxia, uh, will be one approach. Also rodent studies might help us a lot in understanding the mechanisms. However, as our main finding was related to the progression to pre-proliferative and proliferative retinopathy from patients with either no retinopathy or particularly early changes background retinopathy, then I would suspect that the intermittent hypoxemia here is playing an important role because most of these changes are driven mechanistically by increased vascular endothelial growth factor which occurs secondary to ischemic changes in the retina. So I would suspect that the recurrent oxygen desaturation here play an important role. Having said that, I do not think this will be the only mechanism. Our group before have shown that patients with OSA and type 2 diabetes have actually increased oxidative stress, nitrosative stress, uh, PARP activation as a marker of DNA damage, as well as endothelial dysfunction. All of these can, in fact, contribute to worsening the retinopathy. Is the retina more prone to physiological changes during sleep? Yes, uh, this is something that uh, is quite interesting because the retinal oxygen consumption increases overnight because of the night adaptation process. And obviously, most people sleep overnight and they have the obstructive sleeping episodes during night with all the recurrent oxygen desaturation and the other changes that occur in OSA patients. Hence, the retina overnight at a time of increased oxygen needs faces the recurrent oxygen desaturations in patients with obstructive sleep apnea. And I think this in particular makes the retina quite vulnerable to the impact of OSA, particularly considering that the retina in patients with type 2 diabetes would have been exposed to a long period of hyperglycemia, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and other ins metabolic insult 
which are compounded by recurrent oxygen desaturations in patients with OSA, which makes the retina really vulnerable. Now, apart from diabetic retinopathy, what are the other long-term consequences of untreated obstructive sleep apnea in type 2 diabetes? For example, nephropathy um, is also very common in type 2 diabetes. Has the impact of obstructive sleep apnea on nephropathy been examined in a similar longitudinal study? Uh, yes, the, one of the main focus of my work is to assess the impact of obstructive sleep apnea in people with type 2 diabetes, as well type 1 diabetes for that matter. And we have published previously uh, a study in diabetes care in which we have shown that obstructive sleep apnea predicted the decline in renal function measured as estimated glomerular filtration rate uh, over a period of two and a half years period on average. And that's again was after adjustment for potential confounders. I think you've also done work on peripheral neuropathy in this group. Indeed. So we have published in the uh, Blue Journal before uh, a cross-sectional study examining the relationship between obstructive sleep apnea and clinically evident diabetic peripheral neuropathy. And we found an association as well as, well as uh, a dose response between OSA and the severity of peripheral neuropathy. And we have published in a separate publication uh, in the Journal of Diabetes and its Complications uh, data from skin biopsies showing that with increasing severity of obstructive sleep apnea, there is less nerve fibers in the skin, again showing uh, a, a strong association between obstructive sleep apnea uh, and diabetic peripheral neuropathy. Uh, we have also examined the relationship with autonomic neuropathy. Uh, these has not been published yet, but uh, will be submitted for peer review soon. Uh, but it must, be, it must be noted that the data about neuropathy were cross-sectional in nature, not longitudinal. Okay. Now, do you have any final points you'd like to emphasize about your study? I think it's important for clinicians who are treating patients with type 2 diabetes to be aware that obstructive sleep apnea is really common in these patients and might have serious consequences. I appreciate that the evidence for whether CPAP can reduce diabetes-related complications, it's still not there yet, but obviously the studies are ongoing. However, the impact of CPAP is not only just on diabetes-related complications. Many of these patients will have excessive daytime sleepiness, they might have other symptoms related to obstructive sleep apnea uh, that will improve with CPAP, as well as CPAP might improve their quality of life. It's also important to, rea to realize uh, for clinicians that when they identify a patient with obstructive sleep apnea uh, who has type 2 diabetes, then it's important to recognize that these are actually high-risk patients in terms of their decline in kidney function as well as the progression of eye disease. And hence, all preventative measures and intensive metabolic control need to be put in place to try to reduce these risks. Dr. Trani, many thanks for doing this podcast. Uh, to the listener, uh, to read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. 
To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. Thank you for listening and have a great day.